0: Welcome to Influencer Marketing Talks, brought to you by Cure Media, the leading influencer marketing company for fashion brands. This is your weekly podcast to learn more about influencer marketing and social media in right around 15 minutes. I'm Sana Oldmark, Head of Marketing at Cure Media. And in this week's episode, we're proud to present Phoebe Locke, Influencer Marketing Executive at Farfetch, the world's leading retail platform for the luxury fashion industry. Phoebe will share her thoughts on the role of influence marketing in today's competitive retail landscape, and how influence marketing might differ when you are in high-end fashion compared to fast fashion. We will also talk about what important elements she thinks an influence marketing strategy should include, and how brands should communicate to the Gen Z audience to become relevant. welcome to Influencer Marketing Talks. How are you today? I'm great, thanks, Anna. How are you? I'm all good, thanks. It's a pleasure to have you here.
1: Pleasure to be here. Thank you.
0: So just for the listeners to get to know you a bit better before we start, who are you and what is your background?
1: So I'm currently working at Farfetch, um, which is a luxury fashion platform and I'm working as an influencer marketing executive in the global team I work across performance and brand campaigns um, and prior to that I was working at a influencer marketing agency based in London where we worked with a range of clients across various verticals um, and that was also a range of campaigns from performance to brand awareness so yeah here I am There you
0: are, and you have lots of expertise in influence marketing, so I look forward to discussing this field together. So let's kick off with the first question. Many people still associate influence marketing with fast fashion, but in recent years, we have seen that this is a really strong channel for all sorts of products and services, because in the end, it all comes down to where your target audience can be reached and how they want to be communicated with. I mean, no matter if it's fast fashion, social causes, or as we're going to talk about in this episode, the luxury fashion segment. And I think I speak for most of us, unfortunately, when I say that these aren't products that we usually click and buy in a spontaneous way when scrolling through our feed. So in what main aspects would you say influencer marketing for these types of products differ compared to working with, for example, fast fashion?
1: Yeah, so I think that the main factor that differentiates two fashion streams in terms of influencer marketing is that the consumers tend to spend more time in the consideration phase before buying the product, as there is obviously a much higher price point. So in order for us to move these customers further down the funnel to purchase, we really need to focus on the various USPs of the product. Um, For example, we see a lot of talent discussing the quality and wearability of the products, I'm playing into the timeless aspect that luxury garments are well-known for, rather than just styling the outfit um, or doing a haul, which is kind of more conducive with the fast fashion influence activations. So the types of influencers that we tend to work with, and I know that other luxury brands within our sector are working with, they tend to have feeds that are less saturated um, with lots of clothing ads, and they tend to be more considered about the brands that they're working with. So I think that the key with the luxury products is showing the many ways in which the product can be worn. So obviously you're spending more money on, say, a bag. So you want to position that bag as almost the finishing piece of a key key piece of an outfit, rather than Mm. a whole outfit, maybe for a night out or a special occasion where you may wear it once. So what we're increasingly seeing with influencers that promote the fast fashion brands are these affordable statement outfits or hauls, which aren't particularly great for the environment. And luxury fashion is obviously moving into a kind of a more circular focus and moving away from these numerous pieces and focusing on just one key piece at a higher price point is something we're seeing a lot more in luxury fashion influencer marketing. This in turn means we end up with a lot of staple focus content, showing how the product can be worn in various ways, close-up images, highlighting the quality of the product and showcasing that, and video content that really talks about the product or the brand's USP is... So audience with different consumer patterns in terms of price points require different information in order to push them further down that sales funnel. And through influencer marketing lens, this means that different types of influencers who can create this content needed for these products, where consideration is more converted to sales, they are what are needed to really get those consumers to convert and buy the products that are at higher price points. Mm. And I think many brands today are quite
0: focused on only driving conversions, only you know, looking at the direct results. What yeah. can we get from putting up a discount code today? What can we say tomorrow? But I think, as in your case, as you explain, it's so important to just think long term and do things today that you because these types of products, again, it's nothing you buy just because you feel yeah. for it because you need to maybe save some money or save it for a special occasion. So then you want to be top of mind when that buyer actually is in the right state of mind and ready to buy.
1: Exactly. And that's not just not an assumption. This is something we can see through the data for our campaigns. We can see that a lot of the times the swipe ups are used, but then the code is not redeemed until later on. So that would kind of insinuate to us that people are screenshotting the code, considering the purchase, going back, looking on the website, and then they're using the code to purchase at a later date. We can see that from the analytics we have on the from the links to the code and that's across various brands i worked with in the luxury segment we see that and i think that that's we just have to really look at ourselves and how we would purchase a product in that price point i definitely wouldn't swipe up and spend 500 pounds on a luxury bag but it would be a far more considered um step-by-step thing that i would go back to and you know i'd get i'd kind of compare prices and see if this i was getting the best deal for my money
0: um so yes
1: very different to how we'd purchase maybe a 20 pound top from a fast fashion brand.
0: Yeah. But I mean, sometimes, even though it is something we afford to buy right away, maybe we don't have time at that. Like when you see it in your feed, maybe you are doing something else at the same time. So you still don't do it right away. So it's really good to have that, um, to have that approach that you mentioned that you, uh, Put all the channels together when you look at the results and not only look at the direct results on the last click.
1: Yeah, for sure. I think that that's super important because it really tells a lot about the buyer's journey and then you can further understand your audience and their purchasing behaviors. And I think that's, I think we all know that that's key for influencer marketing practices, whether that's performance or brand awareness. We need to really, really understand our audience and that includes the. Buying behaviors. 100%.
0: As we all know now, the online marketplace is more crowded than ever, and it really requires something extra for brands to stand out from the crowd. So, what would you say from your experience working in this industry? What different elements do you think are important to include in a successful influence marketing strategy today?
1: I'd say that understanding your key KPIs and type of campaign that you want to run does really set the foundations for any type of campaign. So as a performance campaign, this will require a completely different approach to a brand awareness campaign. So performance campaigns, the main goal is usually to drive sales. This could be through code redemptions, direct ROI, site tracking and attribution tracking. This just differs from brand to brand and how they choose to track those metrics. Um, But before the campaign kicks off, you really need to understand what you're tracking in the platform's That you need to use to measure the performance Um, there's so many platforms out there that can be specified and tailored for your own business and the kind of industry that you're in but depending on what you're tracking most often um, in the fast fashion or luxury fashion segments i'd say that this is probably code redemptions so there's plenty of platforms that you can use to monitor this and you'll have to have these set up prior to the campaign in order to get the most out of your tracking. I would also say that for performance campaigns on Instagram, that stories are the most successful format, um, in my experience, and that the swipe up and now the sticker feature uh, makes it so much easier for the audience to directly link to the product that's featured. So working with talent who have evidence, selling power, strong brand partnerships, not with competitor brands. Um, but a great story engagement is imperative. You can ask the talent for these stats prior to working with them, which I've done in the past, or various platforms actually give you that information. It might not be accurate, but it can give you a good gauge and how the story conversions will look like for that, that particular influencer. Yeah. So in my experience, I'd say that the most successful SaaS influencers um, that I've worked with for performance campaigns usually sit within the mid-tier group. Um, and in some cases, some micro-influencers who have a truly engaged audience and a huge level of trust with their audience have worked really well and have actually outdone macro-influencers, uh, which could be some, some quite surprising. And I think for some people, there's, you know, a bit of a lack of understanding that reach doesn't always mean success and conversions and sales. Um, sometimes reach is just that, which is, is reach, but obviously that depends on what your KPIs are, I guess.
0: Yeah, and if it's not relevant reach or like even even if it looks good in terms of how many followers someone has, it's not always the case that the algorithms show all yeah. their
1: posts for the followers. Definitely. And I think when reach is less important, there is more scope to work with micro or nano talent. I know L'Oreal did a whole thing with uh, nano influencers um, that worked amazingly. They They drove great results from that. But I think especially maybe with the brand side of things, you can work with talent who have a true authority within their remit. So stylists, artists, um, and these are people that the brand's usually key to affiliate with rather than, you know, get a huge amount of reach. So I think yeah. it's it's kind of, again, it goes back to your KPIs and what you're focused on. But I think for brand awareness campaigns, you do have that flexibility to test with the different platforms content types, influencers from both a stylistic perspective and aesthetic perspective. And with this less of a commercial element, there's really no need to kind of work on ch- channels where there's a swipe up or a shopping feature focus. So we can sometimes look at brand awareness campaigns as less always on in the typical sense, but as they're centred around key moments throughout the year, whether that's brand-specific dates or key dates and holidays, they're always on as in the sense of there's always more than, say, five key dates a year. So it depends how you look at always on. But in the traditional sense, they don't have to be always on as in monthly, but more focused around these key events that happen throughout the year, which does still mean that there's numerous influencer activations throughout the year and the brand is still getting noticed and there's still that awareness going on throughout, and it's continual. Um, but I think at the core of brand campaigns, as opposed to what maybe we see with performance campaigns is they do require a core creative strategy. That's usually a collaboration of teams throughout the business or working on the similar campaign messaging. Um, or in the case of an agency, we normally have strong in-house strategy teams that are very creative and they're really focused on narrative and storytelling. So working yeah. with these teams to create a really comprehensive brief um, with mood boards and inspiration so we can really show the influencer um, what we're hoping to achieve Um, and clearly stating the campaign messaging so it can be understood easily by the talent um, is, is, is really key. I think we always want influencers to create the most authentic content and through their lens and translated in a way that's organic to them. But I think we can still have a real focus on authentic storytelling through the talents lens, backed up by a strong brief, which ensures we hit all our messaging points.
0: That's great advice. And as you say, authenticity is at the heart of influence marketing. So if you don't go for authentic content, if you try to steer too much about the creative freedom, you are definitely on the wrong path. Yeah, definitely. Would you say there are any common mistakes that you see many retailers doing?
1: Yeah, I'd say, to be honest, that the biggest mistakes are all actually underpinned by perceptions, essentially. So, especially in fashion, influencer marketing is seen by many brands um, as an extension or element of the PR strategy rather than a channel within its own right. So, when I first started um, working within influencer marketing, there was this initial shift from like PR agencies working with bloggers as they were referred to, I guess, at the time and gifting talent with products to review to the types of influence marketing we're seeing today. So it's key to understand that shift and recognize it and see that we have moved away from that and see influence marketing as its own channel Um, and as a legitimate marketing stream that can be successful. Well, as successful as other digital marketing channels such as email or CRM. This in turn, and I'm sure you'll have seen this, that you need a full circle of approach for sure within brands rather than a siloed approach. So input from the social teams for brand campaigns and from other performance marketing teams for performance campaigns to make sure that everyone is working towards collective goals across the channels and ensuring that everyone's aligned on the brand's collective goals, as well as messaging, content, talent. So there's a kind of consistent feel throughout so really adopting more of a holistic approach and in really integrating the influencer channel within to the wider strategies of the business yeah i agree and in terms of performance influence marketing um which i think you've spoken about before on the podcast um, the biggest mistake is really expecting results right away what i've seen it with brands who haven't really explored influence marketing before and perhaps they think they're going to get amazing results from the first go and sometimes that can happen especially when it's an amazing product and if it's gone a lot of thought that's gone into the influencer selection and it's a great campaign that can happen but as I mentioned earlier in order to have a successful influencer strategy you really need to commit to that always on approach so that you can understand your consumers that live on those channels and how they engage with the content so I think that Another mistake that is made across the board um, which kind of comes off the back of this is influencer sourcing and selection being based off influencers first rather than the types of audience and target customers that they're going to reach. Especially for campaigns where sales is the goal, the sourcing really needs to start by looking at the desired customer and who they follow rather than the other way around. So I think in some cases we see brands coming to agencies and choosing who they want to work with before they've even they've even been pitched a strategy or they've even come up with that core core creative I think especially when it's celebrities I don't know if you've seen that before when people have kind of favorite
0: oh wow yeah all the time still today
1: yeah and I think of course it's always great if those celebrities are aligned with the brand values and it could work and they've got the data and the stats to back it up then great I think Ultimately, if that's someone the brand really loves, then maybe we can facilitate the collaboration. And especially with brand awareness, this can be slightly more flexible if the commercial element isn't the primary focus, Um, but it is imperative for any influencer across performance and brand that they need to be vetted from a data perspective too. So comparing your key metrics and your KPIs to the influencer stats can really give you a good insight as to how they may perform and I think we all know that working with a big name is is useless if their engagement rate is low so unless your primary goal is just to be affiliated with the talent then you really need to vet them and make sure that they're going to generate some kind of success for your campaign whether that's a performance goal or a brand awareness goal
0: yeah, I agree on all those points. That probably comes from the first mistake you mentioned about seeing influence marketing as a PR tactic. When it's a PR tactic, you obviously naturally look at the influencer instead of the yeah. target audience. But as you say, it's super important to go the other way around and make sure it's the right match from a data point of view.
1: Yeah, definitely. And I think, again, it goes back to that point of seeing influencer marketing as a marketing, performance marketing channel rather than just working with big names and celebrities and influencers if you really want to work with a huge name but they're not going to perform across social or across their own channels then maybe consider bringing them on board as an ambassador and working with them on your tv adverts instead if the the main interest in that talent is who they are their status and wanting them to be affiliated with the brand if you're not going to drive the results on social and on their own channel then there is other ways to work with them. But for influencer marketing, I think that the, the previous still stands. Yeah.
0: And finally, one really important target group for many brands today is the Gen Zs. Why do you think brands should care for this new generation, which is not super young anymore? And how should brands, in your opinion, communicate to these buyers in the most effective way?
1: Yeah, that makes me feel really old. <laughs>
0: um, <laughs> They're getting older. Time flies. It's crazy. It does.
1: it does. Well, whilst Gen Z don't typically have the biggest share of wallet as such in the luxury market yet, they are really making their way to the forefront of the industry. And that's from both a consumer and a content creator perspective. So with the shift in Gen Z customers becoming more prominent within the luxury market, it's super key For us to understand what they want and how to communicate with them in order to convert them into valued customers. So we know that their key values are transparency, authenticity, accountability, and they really want brands to stand for something more meaningful uh, past the products that they sell. So in turn, working with talent who uphold these values and create more authentic content, which speaks their audience, is far more appropriate than perhaps working with talent whose content is more created and whose feed is more saturated in ads and they're less selective as who they're working with. So we see a lot of Gen Z engaging with talent who speak on social issues, who champion diversity and inclusivity and sustainability. And I think that pinning down these influences and understanding, again, who are Gen Z following? Who Who are the key creators and who are they interacting with as well within the Gen Z market in terms of engaging with the audience through influencer marketing the key is uh short to- short form and long form content so we know that they're one of the biggest consumer groups of today and we have to communicate with this audience or we're, we're missing a huge share of the market so we yeah. need to work with creators that have access to this group um on mass really and have created a level of trust with them and have that connection with them where they can convert them into customers as well as you know, fostering a community with them. So I'd say that Gen Z is typically native to TikTok. Um, and we can see a lot of brands creating really fun and engaging content with them on the platform. Um, and that can actually be used for both performance campaigns with because we can push the product through the shopping feature, as well as for brand campaigns, as it's the perfect platform to storytell or lay a narrative through fun and engaging content that keeps keeps users interested Uh. but I think one thing with brands I would say is if that if you're going to work on TikTok and try and tap into this audience you really need to lean into it you can't you have to tailor the brief you can't look at TikTok and Gen Z and the creative that will come with trying to tap into this audience the same way you would as a typical campaign on Instagram Uh. so it might take a bit of a reshift and kind of a step back take a step back and be like wait are we being quite stiff with our approach you really need to look at what they're doing and kind of let the creators take a lead I'd say they know the trends they know what works they know the sound that works and I think again going back to having a close relationship with influencers who can come to you with a trend that may work for your brand and hopping on it it's such a reactive platform you really need those strong relationships and it it kind of has to be, I'd say, creator-led, especially with Gen Z. I think Mm -hmm. that that's what we've seen is definitely engagement with talent who clearly are taking a brief and making it their own. And there's a lot more flexibility. It's a lot more fun. It's a lot more transparent. It's way less curated. Um, So I think it's key to completely change your approach when working with gen z influencers and influencers that have a huge gen z following because they like completely different things to us and to older markets so we need to make sure that we're really kind of letting down our barriers understanding and learning from them and seeing as as education value sharing piece where they can tell us what works too and maybe a collaborative approach to the creative briefs where we kind of see what the talent thinks is going to work which the the landscape changes weekly as to what's popular and what's not so i think being super reactive listening to them and really leaning into that and accepting that right this we're going to have to deal with this differently as we usually would
0: that's great advice. And it will be exciting to see what the future holds. As you say, every new week, there's a new trend or a new feature or things that you want to be a part of if you want to reach this generation.
1: Definitely. And I think no matter how much scrolling you do, um, they they have a much better understanding of how it really works and what's going to really work with their audience. So I think you just have to completely trust the talent in this case, especially yeah. when it's a market we don't know too much about yet
0: so true thank you so much Phoebe for sharing your time your experience your expertise with us
1: today it was great to have you here thank you so much for having me